Okay, well, don't oversell because then people are like, yeah, I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, terrible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the best 53 minutes of your entire life. It's under the radar. Part of the Athletic Fantasy Podcast Network. Joining me as always, your friend and mine, Ian Khan. Hello, my friends. <laughs> and our special friend and guest, Ariel Cohen. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Mer. I feel like I did it better last time. You may have done it a little bit better last time, but it still gives the flavor. Our friend Nando Defino out this week, out for the next three or four weeks. He is very excited to come back. We had so much fun with him uh, last week, but he's got uh, something going that makes it so that he will be gone. But he is absolutely coming back. A very, very special thanks to uh, my friend, our friend, uh, Ariel Cohen, for stepping in for him this week uh, to talk a little fantasy baseball and baseball around the All-Star break. And uh, yeah, it's really great. Miss you, Nando. Love you, Nando. Uh, all good. Very happy uh, for you and, and and all all that good stuff. And uh, excited to do the show. DVR, right back to you. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird being in the Nando seat on this show. Every other show I host, I feel like I'm in the right place. Now when Nando's gone, I feel like I'm in the wrong place on this one. But we'll we'll enjoy it. We'll have some fun. And a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the first-year player draft for a bit, when those players should be available in your long-term league. Should it be mid-summer? Should we do it in a week from now if you're in a long-term league? Should it be in the spring? You know, sometime in between. Uh, we should talk about whether or not long-term leagues always have an expiration date because I had a really good question I saw on Twitter that a lot of us were, were tagged in. And I think there's there's a natural ending to a long-term league that people maybe don't realize when they set it up. And the people you have in it and the rules you make kind of determine when that date comes. And I think there's some pretty interesting parallels between Juan Soto being available via trade in real life right now and the rare occasions in our leagues when an elite player is known to be available. And some of those parallels are actually kind of funny. So those things plus a bunch more along the way. Uh, I think we should start with the first year player draft, though. And I think before I even do that, Ariel, how many long term leagues do you play in? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that people uh, realize that it's the real Ariel Cohen. Uh, could have been Ian just do, doing a, an impression there. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I, I don't play in many long-term – well, I, I don't play in Dynasty. I, ha- I have I do play in leagues that have been going on for a while. I think my longest league is maybe 20 years. Uh, I think, yeah, since college days. Um, I don't play in Dynasty. I play in some limited keeper but uh, yeah, twenty years is the longest one, and I'm in uh, just one of them now. That's, I mean, twenty years is fantastic. I mean, that that's about uh, the longest league. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really that's fantastic. But in terms of long term leagues, instead of it being redraft, I think DVR, are you thinking for keeper leagues or for dynasty leagues, right? Yeah, yeah, because players that were just drafted won't have any immediate appeal. Like there's the very, very rare case where you get someone drafted in June or July that ends up popping up in the big leagues before the end of the season. But that's great. If that happens, you can just pick that player up off the waiver wire. Everyone gets a fair crack at the player and that's good enough. But for the yeah, the keeper and dynasty leagues, I know a lot of people wait until sometime in the winter before yeah. they actually draft those players on the team. So what do you like to do, Ian? How do you like to handle this wave of players in the pool? It's 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 really an interesting question because, like, in a way, do, you know, are, are these guys valued right now? Should they be picked up right now? The the way it's done typically is that you don't draft them until February of the following year, right before the following season in a first year player draft where you have, let's say, it's a full dynasty league. Uh, I'm thinking DL one. Uh, you you have the ability to you know you you wait like six months you see how they do and the guys who are available will be guys like uh, Daniel Bard will be available closers will show up right because they weren't kept at the end of last season and guys like Corey Knebel were somewhat high on those draft lists and then the rest of the draft is first year player guys or you know international guys that have have come over I kind of like it because I feel like what happens with that then is those that draft becomes very special and something that people think a lot about. I know that I always try to get a trade for a first or second pick in the draft, mostly for the fun of it, right? Because let's say the first pick is, is not as much fun actually as like the second or third pick where you then spend all of your time deciding. And last night, as I was watching, I didn't watch the whole All-Star game, uh, but as I was watching the All-Star game and Dansby, Dansby Swanson came up, I thought back to 
I'm going to say it's 2016, maybe when he and Brendan Rogers were the clear one and two in that draft in the first year player draft that would happen in February. And I was like, well, I think we finally have our answer now that the answer to that question was Dansby Swanson. So there's something about waiting, you know, within the last couple of days, Drew Jones just got uh, drafted. Elijah Green got drafted to Mark Johnson and holiday, right? Jackson holiday uh, got drafted. So two, two children of professional baseball players and two other great players and, and Kumar rocker is another guy to talk about Lo- lots of players to talk about. There's something fun about the fact that we all get to figure out how high do you want to get in the draft? Is there a top four here? Is it is it really Jones, Green, Johnson, and Holiday, right? And do we want to? And so then you spend the whole offseason sort of trying to figure out a way to get one of those players. So I like that. I don't know. I certainly don't think they should be fabbed. Um, DVR and, and Ariel, I apologize. This this is on the list. And I called you last night, like, because we got news last night that Nando wasn't going to be here. I was like, hey, Ariel, can you make it? And Ariel said, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so he's here. Uh, so this is a, 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 a something that was on the sheet and not exactly your line of expertise. But DVR, what is your opinion about it? So for me, it's February. I like the February, late February, early March, even uh, rather than something earlier. How about for you? Yeah, I like having a little more time to let everything sink in, figure out you know where these players actually might be assigned as they sign their first contracts. You might see some of these guys play in low A. I mean, short season ball has mostly disappeared, but uh, you can get a better sense for how much you like each of these players by having that extra time to read up on them and learn a little bit more about them. Not that the information is unavailable before the draft, but I feel like once the draft happens, you'd get the full scouting reports from a lot more sources so you can make sure that you have everything on the table when you make those long-term decisions. And the other part of this conversation is almost a why question. I think Ariel might be able to help us with this. Long-term leagues always seem to have an expiration date. And it, I think it's based on the quality of the managers in the league with respect to each other. So if you had 15 Ariel Cohens playing against each other in a league, it'd be chaos. But the league would probably last longer than if you had... 15 strangers playing together or one REL and 14 strangers or the three of us and 12 strangers, right? Because the more disparities you have across your group of managers, the more, I guess, stratified the league becomes. And eventually you have some teams that get stuck completely in the bottom. And that makes the league a lot less fun for the group as a whole, right? Once a handful of teams get stuck in the bottom half of the league for two or three years, you start to see those teams lose interest and you realize They don't necessarily, in many cases, have the chops to turn it around. So is part of the problem with multi-year leagues, REL, just the lack of even players and and the lack of consistent multi-year values across an entire group of people? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you answered a lot of the question in that, you know, if, if you have players who are consistently bad in leagues and players who are consistently much better, uh, after a while becomes stale and not fun. Uh, Ruvain and I played in a league once. Uh, it was a local league in, in his area, and it was like a 20-year-old league as well. We joined, and I think I think we ended up doing one of those uh, keeper dump trades where we just took whoever our best players were and traded them for the best keepers, and we quickly won the following year. And won the year after, or placed, or whatever. Um, and the, the the league just said, eh, "We can't compete with these guys anymore." And uh, that sort of—I'm not going to say it ruined the league, but uh, people who were at the bottom just said, "We're we're done." Um, you know. It, also, everything has an expiration date. You know, you can't do things for years and years and years. People lose interest. People don't have the time anymore. People take on other interests in their life, and, and that happens uh, all the time. I do want to say one thing though about you know, in terms of when to pick up players, it really depends. I think Kumar Rocker is an exception uh, in that he might be major league ready next year. I mean, he's played some independent ball this year, and the way that Texas was drafting him. Very possible he just goes right into Double A and right in into the majors next year, or or, or the year after at the very uh, uh, latest. Uh, so a guy like him, if you have a team that you want to make an impact in your fantasy league right away, that I can see even if, if you're in the right position, taking a grab even now. Yeah, but but it depends on the format, right? Because in the Devil's Rejects, you have a situation where you can pick up players. All of these players have been owned for a couple of years, right? As soon as somebody peeks their head out and starts to show that they're going to be a top prospect, they're picked up. 
in in the in the in a dynasty league format this sort of sense of uh, you know picking them up at, at the end of the year. My argument against using buying Rocker early ahead of these other guys is you could trade these other guys for a guy who's going to help you more this year, right? Sure, so if you sure. pick Drew Jones with the first pick, you're looking at a guy who's going to be a top 10 prospect probably within the next couple of weeks just by being drafted top, top 20 prospect maybe. I think top 20 is probably a little bit better. And then you can move that player for, I mean, Nathan Evaldi in a minute, right? You could get, and Evaldi's hurt, so that's not sort of ideal. Uh, Zach Gallen, like you could get Zach Gallen for him uh, in in a in a in a dynasty league or in in a, in a league like that. So that's why young bats is always the primary for me way to go. But if there was a guy in this draft who we think who you think could move quick, I think Kumar Rocker is is a good is a good indication. I've been spending the last while as long as i've known ariel trying to convince him to play in dynasty leagues um because i think that there is value in learning um in, in learning all the players and and ariel's point is always that like he doesn't have time to go that deep but you know the off season if you're not playing fantasy football if you're not as obsessed with fantasy football as you are with fantasy baseball is a really good time to get to know these these younger players because I think it really helps you in redraft as well because it gives you I think it gives you a major leg up in redraft leagues guys if you if you really have a a feeling about that um sure sure DVR do you DVR do you agree with that I felt when I was playing in the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational which folded a couple of years ago now but when I was playing in that league I was digging into players that were going to be entering the redraft player pool in the not so distant future. There are a handful of players that I had on that team that were three or four years away, but it was a lot of guys that were initially maybe limited to mono leagues breaking through. And, you know, I think if you play in the mono league, that makes you a better mixed league player in some ways because yeah, you're, sure. you're just learning more right away about more playing time situations. So I found it to be valuable I, I, in the same ways that I find that playing DFS also makes you look at the player pool a different way, different skills in a lot of ways to be successful as a DFS player, but still some benefit to looking a lot at roster construction, lineup construction, and thinking about where players are playing, the matchups they have. I think that that has also helped make me a better traditional season-long redraft roto player. Oh, absolutely. I mean, knowing the players and going deeper and playing Dynasty is huge help in, in everything. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and you know, listen, I, I, I say that I, I uh, don't have the time to do it. It's true because I, I took a pickleball this off season. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a little sneak peek for you. All right. So Ariel said that we, we, we because it is the all star break. And part of the reason why I was like, Ariel, we, I got to get you on the show is I, I did a, a pickleball. No, Ariel called me one night to talk to me about his pickleball game. And as soon as I got off the phone, I just laughed the whole time. True story. The story. True story. And um, as soon as I got off the phone, I just sat down and did a George Washington, Ariel Cohen pickleball conversation um, where Ariel, for the very first time, called General Washington as opposed to General Washington calling Ariel. And so I did that. I think that was in in over the winter. I'm yes. pretty sure it was over the winter and I did it, but we've never played it because it was, you know, it didn't feel really appropriate. And then Ariel was like, you know, you really got to do it. Like you got to put it on the show. And so I, I asked DVR if we could do it and I played it for him again last night and DVR laughed a lot at that one. And so today at the end of the show, uh, after the music, there will be a post credit scene a la the Avengers uh, where you will hear Ariel Cohen and General George Washington have a conversation about Ariel Cohen's pickleball. Uh, Ariel, you, you you enjoy these impressions very much, correct? It's a lot of fun and definitely stay stay tuned for this one. This is a good one. Okay, well, don't oversell because then people are like, yeah, it really wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's terrible. DVR, in terms of the Keeper Dynasty League and the expiration date, I, I'm curious specifically, do, do you have a, a time frame in mind? Do you have like, do you have a, a scenario in mind where you're thinking about it? Like, what is your thought process? Because I've been thinking a lot about the relegation. And I think relegation, again, is just a really good, because people never do that. It's like, well, if he, he still wants to play, so, she, you know, he's still giving $100, so he gets to stay in the league. But what what does the expiration date mean to you and how how would that manifest itself? You know, for me, I think the relegation rule is probably one of the best ways to reduce the likelihood that the league fills out in 
probably four to five years. If you said, what do you think the average dynasty league length ends up being? I'd say probably somewhere between four and five years. And that might even be a tick on the long side. That might be skewed by industry people playing together as opposed to friends playing together. And by expiration day, I would count resetting. Like if everyone had to throw their players back and you drafted again and played multi-year again, that would count as an expiration date. Like mm-hmm. you, you had to completely redo the player pool. And the challenging part, if you're playing with a group of friends, is a scenario like you outlined, right? You don't want to kick out one of your best friends if they had a one bad year in a dynasty league, caught a couple of injuries in the beginning. And, oh, hey, you know what? Thanks thanks for being my friend and for playing, but you're out. Like that's That's kind of weird. So if you do that, of course, you have to have that going into the league. And I think if everyone went in understanding that that was the penalty for finishing at the bottom or near the bottom, then it'd be a lot more fair. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, but relegation, I mean, you can get kicked out yourself. Hey, you want to play in a league? By the way, you can get (laughs) kicked out next year if you do poorly. Oh, that sounds great. You know. Yeah, but if you're playing at a high enough level where you're playing with really good players, then the the point of the relegation is that and and it really comes down to like you got to be doing stuff. The downside the thing that made me sad when you said about 4 or 5 years for a dynasty league is, you know, if you're playing for the future and you've bought into uh, a league and you're making trades or you're getting the CJ Abramses and the Spencer Torkelsons of the world and you're making you're trading away players and then all of a sudden the league goes away that stinks right like that really stinks I I feel like uh new rule going into a dynasty league like how about this like it's you got you're buying in for 10 years and you got to pay your 10 years ahead of time and maybe it's fifty dollars or a hundred dollars and maybe it's and people are like well i don't want to pay that much well okay then we'll find another guy who or woman who wants to pay that much and who can afford to pay that much but then you're not paying at all over the course of the 10 years but it guarantees that you stay in you can make a buyout you know if, if you want to leave the league you gotta pay this maybe or how about this idea how about if you finish in the bottom like in, in Tower Wars, we have this where if you finish in the bottom three, you lose a little fab. Sorry, that makes me laugh because of another R.L. Cohen conversation phone call. Um, you lose fab. You lose, if you finish last place, I think you lose like $300 fab for the next year. The second to last place, you lose 200 And third to last place, you lose 140 It's something like that. What if, if, if like you lose, you got to pay more money into the pot? Like just raise the stakes just a little bit so that you don't want to just be like, all right, I'm 15th place. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's no downside to it. It's like, no, you, you, you don't get to just stick around to stick around. Like you have to actively stay active. I think that's, I think that's fair. I think people should, I, I think people should just be more clear at the beginning is what I think you're saying, Derek, is that people need to be clear at the top that this is what the expectation of the league is. Yeah, and I think the benefit of that as opposed to the relegation is when you, when you relegate someone, the new person coming in gets a team that was in pretty rough shape. So that's a kind of a tough draw, whereas if the person that is struggling has to pay extra, then their incentive to play for the distant, distant future starts to go down because they're paying twice as many entry fees, right? So if you pay six entry fees in three years to rebuild, is getting that one payoff later is that even worth it? You know, I think it makes it more competitive throughout as opposed to people trying to say, I'm, I'm playing for 2026, which, you know, it's to each their own. If you want to play for 2026 in your keeper league, that's, that's your choice. But I tend to not want to play for points in the future that are that far away. Like my, my goal is usually within two years in most situations. I know there's some leagues where you can't quite do that depending on what's happening. But if you're playing for a point more than two years into the future, is that even fun? I have to say, I, I've gotten, um, ugh, you know, I spent all this time telling Ariel he should be playing in Dynasty Leagues. I'm getting a little tired of Dynasty Leagues, to be honest. I mean, I've been doing them for so many years, and I, I find more challenge in the redraft world. Uh, I, I really do enjoy, I'm, I'm finding myself enjoying that. But then when I go to sleep at night, right, I, everyone thinks about, I don't know what everyone thinks about when they go to sleep at night, but if I'm like having a little trouble going to sleep at night, I will actually think about the, uh, the one team that I'm rebuilding in, in a dynasty league with Steve Gardner and XFL. And I'll just go through that roster in my head and sort of say, all right, I got 15 keepers of these guys. Ooh, oh boy, that's going to be fun to watch. And, oh, this is going to be fun to watch. So I guess it depends. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a rhythmic thing with uh with dynasty leagues but i do encourage if you've never done it 
try to figure out a way to do it. And there's a, someone asked on Twitter said, Hey, I'm trying to, I joined this dynasty league. It was bad. I quit. What should I do? And I recommended this and I'd like to recommend it on the show, which is to go to base on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, uh, baseball three, six, five, it's a, a site that's run by some great guys, uh, Andrew McQuiston, Tim McLeod, others, uh, and I'm sorry, names are coming right to my head. And it, it basically is about dynasty baseball and it, it has spots in leagues all the time in really good leagues. So if you are encouraged and you're like, yeah, you know what? I do want to play in a dynasty league, which I would encourage you to do if you've never done it, um, go over to that site, try to get in and, uh, they'll, I think they just accept people as long as you're nice and you know, they won't, they won't kick you out if you're nice. And, uh, and, and you'll learn a lot about dynasty baseball and you'll have opportunities because people will say, Hey, there's a spot open in this league. Do you want to join? And then you, you, it, it's vetted somewhat, right? It's not just some, as the guy said on the Twitter, it's just like a Reddit thing. That's a good recommendation. Ariel, what do you think about before you go to sleep? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So many things going on. Um, playing softball. Uh, how am I going to? Uh, how am I going to come back in certain leagues that I'm not in? Uh, what am I going to have for lunch tomorrow? Oh, just. <laughs> too what many am I going to have for about. lunch tomorrow? That's yeah. good stuff. Well, he texted me last night at ten o'clock saying, "I'm trying to arrange my day." I almost did it. I'm not going to do it. I almost <laughs> arranged my day. I want to arrange my day. Am I doing it tomorrow? And then it was like, "Yeah, sorry, I was on a on a phone call." Um, and yes, you are. And thank you again for coming. So anyway, that that's a something of a wrap up for for Dynasty and Keeper, at least for now. I I, I don't know. It's it's sad to me. I, I feel like Dynasty League should last for a really long time to give people the opportunity who are in that rebuild to not feel like, well, wait a minute, I just put in these three years and now the league is gone. But it puts a lot of pressure on the commissioner to continuously uh, bring new people in. But it's very challenging. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing about Dynasty is it's for committed players. So if, if you have one of those leagues where, hey, I need another player, uh, uh, you want to join a Dynasty league? Yeah, you think you like it? It's not for that. I think it. you have to have 10 or 15 guys, whoever many guys who are, I'm looking for a Dynasty league. I really want to make it, right? It's, it's a commitment. Also, wait, can I throw something in there? You just said something that I've never thought about. You know, maybe we're doing it all wrong with Dynasty leagues. Because I'd say the base for me of Dynasty Leagues is 15 teams, right? That's how I think of it. Why? That's one of those things that it's just, oh, someone somewhere started it that way. And then we just do it that way for a long time. And I've been pushing back on kind of everything that we're doing in fantasy baseball in my head. I'm not having Twitter fights with people about this, but I'm sort of stepping back and saying, why do we play this way? Why are the rosters built this way? And a lot of it goes back to the original rules from 40 years ago and that's a great game and a great starting point, but we don't have to play that way anymore. You are a revolutionary when it comes to this, and it's it you you, you I think you will come up with the, the next new thing, but I have a new thing. So 15. Then if you do industry, Devil's Rejects, uh, Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, it's a 20-team league. And I then Ariel just said 15 or 10 team, whatever it is. What if we what if you started instead of a 15-team NFBC style league? What if you did a 10-team league? dynasty league i think that actually would make it better because then i i think it would i mean there's always challenges every thread that you pull over here is going to pull 16 threads in in all the different spots but if you had 10 teams instead of 15 teams then all of a sudden the player pool is much more wide open because the, the the downside is if you're in a 15 team league and a team has 145 points and it's like they're gonna win we know that they're gonna win but what happens if it you know, if, if if it's a if it's a smaller league and if it's head to head, if it's like a, tw- a 10 or 12 team head to head dynasty league, then there's no guarantees. I mean, Ariel expresses his frustration to me about Tout Wars being head to head and that at the end of the season, the playoffs happen. Right. And that's something that is frustrating for you at times. Right, Ariel, not to get too deep into that. But but my argument back is. Yeah, but it's more like baseball. Like the Yankees could have the best record in baseball all season. They get to the playoffs, they face a hot team, and they lose, and their season is over, right? So the whole season is about getting to the playoffs, maybe getting a first-round bye, as we're even seeing in, in MLB now. But but that might shift things. Like what if what if the fashion, so to speak, of Dynasty Leagues went to more of a 10 or 12-team head-to-head world? Head-to-head Roto is fine. It doesn't need to be points. But head-to-head Roto, 
10 or 12 team league. DVR, do you think that solves any of the problems? The smaller league size definitely solves a problem. I don't know if head to head and dynasty mesh well in my head when you're you're playing the long game, but then you're making small periods of time more important. I think that's the part that I'm not sure of, but smaller seems like it could definitely work because the magnitude of being right becomes more important. You have to smash as much as you can with the top, top end prospects. You have to be more right in those situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's also a preference of, do you like playing in shallower or deeper leagues? I've actually tended to like the shallower leagues more. Uh, I I play in 10-team Roto. I actually like that better than 15-team Roto. It's a different kind of game. It's less about just getting players who can play and getting the counting stats. It's more of a valuation process and an aggregation process. So it really depends on uh, whether you like shallow or deep, for one. Yeah, I see. And I love really deep leagues. Like I love my AL only league and I love my NL only league. So but 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 I love it for different reasons. I'm just trying to figure out a way. How do we keep Dynasty fresh? How do we keep it so that it, you know, it it, it can it can stay alive? But if you have any thoughts, share with us on Twitter at, at our Twitter handles and, and we we will respond. We tend to respond and then we even talk about it on the show. So let's move on now to the parallels. Uh, DVR and uh, Ariel parallels between Juan Soto being available via trade and the occasions when an elite player is known to be available in our leagues are actually pretty funny. DVR, what what are your thoughts about that? So I feel like seeing some of the responses, right? You see the anonymous sources from front offices saying, you know, we could send an entire starting lineups worth of players, or we could send our three or four best prospects. And I've seen this happen a handful of times in keeper leagues, other sports too. It's not just baseball leagues where a special player, a very young player who's going to be very good for a long time becomes available. And it almost feels in some ways like you can't overpay for the player in fantasy. I think you probably could in real life, but I I was tweeting about it over the weekend. I had a five player combo for the Dodgers going to the Nationals to get back Juan Soto and a bad reliever that the Dodgers could make good. And there were Dodgers fans all over me all weekend just saying they would never trade Bobby Miller. And I'm kind of laughing to myself (laughs) and I'm like, it's Juan Soto. Like, Ariel, like, I know that you are as in-depth value-wise as anybody can be. Pull me back down to earth here. Like, is, is there a real price via trade that a major league team could actually give up that would be too much for Juan Soto considering that they have him for the rest of this season if they do it before the deadline and the next two seasons on top of having the possibility of extending him and keeping him even longer. Yeah, I mean, the crazy trade proposals are out there. I saw one that uh, SNY of the Mets put out. Juan Soto for Jeff McNeil, Tyler McGill, Francisco Alvarez, and two of three of Beatty Mauricio Vientos. Um, yeah, you know, the thing is that the reason they put that out is because when you look at the some of the raw numbers, uh, projected numbers for Juan Soto in the next couple of years, they are actually equivalent to that whole batch of five or six players. That's true, but... You know, when you're talking about five, six players versus one, and you're adding in the risk component, Juan Soto could get injured. Juan Soto could have uh, nagging injuries. He could be a little bit worse. Uh, you could also have better than expected production from those, uh, the complement of those five. Uh, it's hard to, it's when you have five players, it's really, really hard to make the case that. Uh, the risk component is not there. So you would never see a front office do that kind of ridiculous trade. Although there's there's some there's some level where, you know, you're going to get a major league player ready. You're going to get two really good minor league players ready, one guy down the pipeline. Uh, you will see that kind of thing. But wait, Ariel, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not exactly clear. Are you saying, because I'm now, I'm now looking at the very tweet that has 1,600 likes and 165 retweets and 140 comments. That's that's a lot for you, DVR. It's a lot for it's anybody. It's a lot of engagement. It's a lot of engagement. <laughs> um, are you suggesting that the Dodgers wouldn't want to do that or that the Nats wouldn't want to do that? Because I'm looking at this trade and I have some feelings. So which, what are you saying? That, that, that the Nats wouldn't give... Soto for the package of, I'll tell you what the package is. It's Miguel Vargas, who's a top 10 to 15 prospect, Michael Bush, top 60 prospect, Andy Pages, top eh, somewhere in there, that area. Also, Bobby Miller, who looks great in Landon Knack. Are you saying that the Dodgers wouldn't do that or that the Nationals wouldn't do that? The Dodgers would do it in a heartbeat 
because the Dodgers can replace those five players about as easily as any organization yeah. can replace those five players. The Mets are trying to build an organization like that, Ariel, right? They're not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very different. The proposal you read is nothing like the one that I read. Uh, the ones that, that I read are f- uh, they're going to be five major league player ready in the next uh, two years. Um, you know, for that Dodger package, I think the uh, I think that the Nationals say no. Uh, for the uh, for the Mets one, I think the Mets say no. So there there is a line. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why would the Mets say no? What are you putting out there that you're talking Francisco Alvarez, Brett Batty, Fientos, Mauricio, Tyler Magill, and Jeff McNeil? That's that's a lot of major league talent, and and the risk that Juan Soto goes down for five six guys that's incredible. I mean, that's a lot of potential know. major league war. I mean, look, the Dodgers have to take that deal. I mean, the, the Dodgers take that deal, and I, I say yes, a hundred percent, yes. You make that deal if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. Also, because they they then all of a sudden Chris Taylor goes back to being more of a utility guy as opposed to being the starting everyday left fielder, which even before he got hurt wasn't going as well as I expected this year. Let's put it that way. Um, but for the Mets, the, the McGill and the McNeil don't matter to me in the least. I, I, the the Alvarez is fine. Go. Especially you just picked up Parada with the 11th pick in the draft. Kevin Parada out of Georgia Tech catcher. I mean, someone wrote that they now have Mike Piazza and Gary Carter on the same team, right? With picking up Parada. Uh, Parada being the Gary Carter, I'm going to assume. But if I'm the Mets, I'm doing that in a heartbeat. I'm doing that in a minute. Like whatever you got to do to get Juan Soto on your team. And especially with Cohen, I don't think that the Nationals are ever going to trade to the Mets, the Ted Williams of baseball in Juan Soto. But, and the only reason as a Yankee fan, I kind of don't want them to trade for him is if they trade for him, that makes the chances of Aaron Judge sticking around very, very low. And the only player I would rather have on the Yankees than Juan Soto is Aaron Judge. And that's only because I love Aaron Judge, as I've talked about. I mean, the Mets, I think, are, are as DBR said, trying to build their organization. I, I don't think they're they're there yet. Um, you know, trading your whole farm system to get one, uh, albeit really, really good player, probably not the direction they want to go. I think Cohen can inject any amount of money. I think the, free a- I think, uh, the Mets going for Aaron Judge in free agency is more the style the Mets want to do while maintaining the farm system and building it up. Dodgers are at a very, very different p- position. So it's not just the theoretical question. It's also very specific to the teams and what's available right now and what they have brewing in their organization. It depends on the organization, for sure. And that's why when people say the Mets, I think they're the, the odds-on favorite, according to some of the sports books. I'm like, I don't think they are, because Steve Cohen, okay, they're the odds-on favorite if, if Juan Soto becomes a free agent after 2024, right? Let's say he gets traded somewhere, doesn't sign an extension. You could tell me today the Mets are the favorite to sign him then. No problem. Sure. I, I would have no argument against that. The, the $500 million contract might be on the table by then. That is a, that is a possibility. But... If they mortgage their future now without having enough ability to replenish that system, part of what makes the Dodgers good is they can keep trading young players year after year after year to add superstars, and they spend the money, and they use some of the players they draft and develop or trade for to fill out the rest of the roster. The Mets are trying to build that machine. I don't think you dismantle your farm system right now to do it. Could they do it? Of course, but I don't think they will. I've got three teams. I've got, I'll just look at the standings. I've got three teams that it makes sense. Um, and then I'll tell you what I think in order makes sense. One, San Diego. Kind of makes perfect sense for me, San Diego. Because they also have the prospect depth, including C.J. Abrams. Uh, you know, and it, it, I, I'd have to put together a package for them. But San Diego has the depth, the money. And I mean, can you imagine in the same lineup, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis? I mean, it would just be phenomenal to watch. Uh, Then uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they have the prospect depth because that's what Washington's going to need, right? If they're going to give up and they shouldn't give up Juan Soto, they should give him 500 million. If he's asking 450 and they say, give me 500, they should give him the 500 and he should play in Washington the whole time. I mean, that's really what it should be. But if they are going to move him, I could see them moving him to moving them to Tampa Bay. Um, And then the third one, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's insane. What about the Baltimore Orioles? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You're playing in you're you're playing in the toughest division in baseball. 
you're growing. They have really good prospects. They do. I mean, Gunnar Henderson's going to have to go in that trade, and, and and there are other guys that have to go. But all of a sudden, if, if if he's hitting in Camden Yards to right field in Baltimore, I could see that happening. Anyway, those are the those are the three places that, and he's Ted Williams, man. I mean, he won the the home run derby, which was fun to watch. I I, I did enjoy that home run derby. Um, and he's just such a special player that that's I could see it happening. And and when and if it does happen over the course of the next month it's going to be just insane it's just going to be an insane experience it's just so similar because the players that are usually off the table when we're trying to figure out what teams are going to do trade wise and what we would do in in long-term leagues those players become available when a player like soto is out there it's the we can trade abrams and mackenzie gore and robert hassel all in the same trade because it's juan soto and then you know you round it out with a couple other players and maybe get something else that you need back and i know the padres have luxury tax problems that it's balanced that out but this is the type of trade where you could actually do that because you, you you don't give up young talent just to save money against the luxury tax you give up young talent and, and bad contracts to get a superstar back because that's worth it. Like that's, that's a combination that makes sense. What do you guys think the chances he's actually going to get traded before the deadline this year? It's less than 50, 50 to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's less than that 50, too. 50. I, I, I don't see it, but, but let's go to that San Diego Padres trade for a minute because that's exactly the trade. It's Will Myers for contract reasons and, and luxury tax, right? It's Robert Hassel, who is a top 10 by many accounts, uh, prospect in baseball, power speed guy, well, speed speed guy with some power. CJ Abrams, who we all know a little bit about and who I've loved for years. And Mackenzie Gore. Can, can, can you get your head around that, Ariel? Does that make sense? We're talking about three guys who then that's 18 years of control for three years of control. That's how I think about two years plus of control. You're getting 18 years of control with those three players. And you're looking at Abrams being a top 50 baseball player Hassel being a top 100 player and Gore being a top 30, maybe even top 20 uh, pitcher. Can you, can you get your head around that? Yeah, I think, I think the Padres are a very good landing spot. As you said, Uh, they are not a sure thing to make the playoffs and push far. And Soto is a very, very big ticket to push them along farther. You always want teams that are on the cusp of making of making it big to to push. I mean, I think the you know just just from a standpoint of do the Dodgers really need Juan Soto to win this year? Don't think they need him. They can still win without him. So to mortgage the future is something else. But the Padres, they might be they might be in a position where he would actually make a big difference in their probability of winning. DVR think that's exactly it they're just in the exact right spot i think the orioles are a little bit too early and the mets because of the structural reasons don't make a lot of sense but the padres seem like an absolute perfect fit right now for for really for all of these reasons one more team after you're done i'm sorry go ahead please the seattle mariners yep they could do it too what about the angels they got trout and otani they can't because they don't have, first of all, they don't have the pieces in That's the, in the minor league system yeah. to pull it off. Right. right. Um, but Seattle could move Kirby in a deal. Um, he could, they could even move Gilbert in a deal uh, for Juan Soto and, and you could move, I mean, you'd not, you can move Kelnick easily Kelnick, in that Kelnick, deal. Yeah. Kelnick, I mean, Kirby, Hancock, perfect. something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, Emerson. Yeah. I like that too. The problem with moving players off the big league roster, if you're Seattle is you need those guys to win. Now you, you start to give up this season. If you, give up guys you're using Kirby's down and you can get, you can get a pitcher back. Uh, <laughs> Strasburg, no. you have to take Strasburg in the deal. You have to take Strasburg in his contract. That's what they should do. I mean, the nationals should just say, you want Soto. We want all this. And you've got to take the Strasburg contract. Cause that's a tough, terrible contract. Like that's how I think I might go about it. You got to get all the prospects. I mean, it's sort of, and by the way, Ariel, we, I, I used to tease you all the time about that Edwin Diaz deal. And you used to not want to talk about it. How do you feel about that that deal now? Every day it gets better and better for the Mets when you see uh, uh, Kellenic struggling. And Diaz, you know, Diaz has been fantastic. I, I, I remember talking with you last couple of years how Diaz is, to me, a top three closer in baseball and has been. He just ran into some trouble with the juice ball in, in 2019, 2020. But he's been stellar. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's getting better and better <laughs> every day, I think. Yeah, it's it really is. It's it's and by the way, I just want to make one mention. I I was uh 
was thinking about one thing I said last week that was really dumb. I was talking about the NFBC and I said, well, we're not looking at the league anymore. We're looking at the overall now. And then we had the kind of week where you better start looking at your league now. Now we're still in pretty good shape, but I think just, uh, you know, just, uh, the, the, uh, the, Hey, look at us. We're looking at the overall, not the league. We went from fifth to, I think 12th or 13th right now. Um, and we had 12 starts that week. So we were really excited about the 12 starts. Well, that was Chris sale was in that 12 starts. That was Spencer Strider who struggled, um, twice, unfortunately well really once uh but so anyway i just want to for the record since last week for the record i said well we are in a place where we are feeling quite good about our future and now it's like oh let's just take it one day at a time let's just you know daniel baker's still coming phil duso is still coming like there, there's there's nothing promised uh, very few things promised other than eno saris is going to win al labor because he's got that wrapped um but other than that that that's about it you know every other league uh it's going to be a dogfight all the way to the end. And and I'm dogfighting with both of you guys in individual leagues. GDD, which is fun. We're all in the same league, right? Yeah, we're in GDD. We're 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 dogfighting. So, uh it's 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 a lot of fun. It's really fun, man. I I really love fantasy baseball. The All-Star break is kind of enjoyable, but I also just miss the the daily looking at the box scores and watching, you know, snippets of games. I I do miss that. I had a question for both of you guys, because I, I know you've each thought a lot about this. We're a few years into the magnificent career of Shohei Otani, and we've seen different sites have different ways of handling him. We've seen some leagues have fights about this matter. But what's your preferred way for Otani to be utilized in a fantasy league? So let's say you're creating a new league for 2023 and beyond, Ariel. How does it work? How do the Otani rules apply to your league now that you've seen it for a while, now that you know what some of the limitations were of different ways that it was done to this point. I got to say that having him available as a daily transaction guy where you can either put him as a hitter or pitcher, that's so super fun. Um, I mean, he is a $30 hitter this year. He is a $25 pitcher. You actually, not only do you add them to get his true value, you also add another buck or two because he only takes up one roster spot. To have a guy worth $55 in a league that's just super fun. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to do this forever, but uh, that, that's so much fun. And it's less frustrating than having to choose on a weekly basis, is he a pitcher, is he a hitter? Well, it's a good matchup. Oh, am I going to miss the homers? Well, two-start week. Of course I have to play him, but then he has a great hitting week. It's just more frustrating when you have him in a weekly basis. So let's just do the more fun thing that has him as a, as a daily guy. And it's just from a from a standpoint of mathematics, it's just so interesting to have him worth so much more than everybody else. I mean, he he's clearly the 1-1, one, one, right? If, if, if you had to pick him in a draft, he's a 1-1. One, one. And not only is he a 1-1, one, one, but... He's, the value he can get is so much more than a regular 1-1. Like Mike Trout, when he was going a couple years ago, $40 player and 1-1. So, you know, it's about par value. $55 player in a $40 slot? I mean, it's a no-brainer 1-1. It's so much more fun to have him that way. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having uh, – last year I had him in a daily league in GDD when it was daily, and I got him, you know – and the experience of, of that is, is amazing. Um, I, I, I'm still disappointed that fantasy baseball has not figured out a way to properly value him in weekly leagues. I think the closest is the tout wars GDD on Roto, where they split him into two players where you can start him on both sides. You should absolutely be able to get all of that value for him. Um, if I was starting a brand new dynasty league, I would do it as an auction right? It would be an auction league where all players are auctioned. And I would try to figure out a way and use a site that you could use Shohei Otani in both spots. I, I just think it's what's happening. It's, it's the reason why he has to be the MVP. There's just no question. He has to be the MVP of the American League. If he, if he can stay healthy through to the end of the season, I mean, there's a point where even if he got hurt in a month, where he gave you one more month of these stats and then got hurt and was out for the rest of the season, you can make an argument that he is because he's a he's a top ten hitter and he's a top. I mean, is he not a top ten pitcher? I feel like he is. It's just he's he's the greatest. He's the greatest thing that baseball's ever seen. By the way, I have a suggestion here. What if you what if you're forced to in weekly leagues? If you roster the hitter, you have to roster the pitcher, and so. 
if if you're if you're in an auction, like the minimum you could pay is two dollars for him because he takes up two slots. And if you're in a draft, like you automatically have to lose your maybe next or you know in two rounds you lose that pick, and you have to take the pitcher there and just force every t- because he's one player, right? He's he's on your team for both. And if you roster him, you roster huh. both. And and you get both values, and of course that factors into where you take him, and then you have to evaluate wh- where you want to get that. Uh, I, how about that? I mean, it's okay, but my problem with it is that it's not actually the upside is, and the reason it's ridiculous that the Angels can't win baseball games is with this twenty with uh, their twenty six players still right, twenty six players on a roster, or is it down to twenty five? I think it's twenty six. So with the twenty six players, he's only taking up one spot, so it gives you the opportunity to have an extra bat on the bench or have an extra pitcher in the bullpen because you're not using a spot. I I think you should have the full value of Shohei Otani. And let's say we were doing a league. Let's do a quick auction, right? It's an auction dynasty league where you could use Otani in both spots the way that I've just imagined it. It's the first pick of the draft. It's the first throw of the draft. I'm making the first throw. We're going to do a quick mock auction here. Ready? So uh, Shohei Otani, $40. 45 47 49. We'll go 50. 52. 53. 54. 55. Go once. Going twice. 56. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. You did the count. <laughs> I'm not going to find ketchup on you. Going twice. Sold to Ian Kant $56, and I'm about to have a really fun next two to three to five There's to There's one years thing of about life. Shohei Otani, though, that you do have yeah. to be in mind. Very important. The injury risk of him is double. And in today's world in baseball, where injuries are huge, 60% of all players go on the IL at any point in the, in the year, he's doubly exposed because he's a hitter and he's a pitcher. So your value Damn as it. a hitter is the same. Your value as a pitcher is the same. But the risk is double in health. And I know he didn't get injured this year, but that doesn't mean he can't. You know what? Ariel Cohen – I. I I want to do a tip of the cap, uh, and I've said this on the show before, but uh, working with Ariel Cohen in the offseason, I mean, I talk to him during the season all the time, but when we, when I do my preparation, Ariel and I spend, Ariel, we spend a lot of time together going over all these players. Fun time. And it's it's remarkably fun and, and really smart. If you don't listen to the Beat the Shift podcast on Thursdays with Ruvain, who also gave uh, did did an analysis on my son's uh, whatever on my son's back, which I'm very grateful to him for. Um, you're you're missing out. You should definitely give it a listen. Uh, it's it's a very smart show. And this week's guest, D- Ariel, is DVR. Look at that. So Ar- Ariel always has uh, really excellent guests. So I, I would really highly recommend it's on Fangraphs, um, the Beat the Shift podcast. It's a, a tremendous amount of fun. Thank you. And and just really smart. They they talk strategy, and I think I think uh, you know we today today's episode, you know, no Nando. We're not talking about as many players. It's more sort of general strategy. I like those kind of conversations an awful lot, and that's what you guys. I think that's what you do. Ariel, talk a little bit about the show and what makes your show a little different than other people's shows. Yeah, I mean, we start every single show with the strategy section. Where it's about whether it's you know we had Scott Jenstead to talk about fab how do you bid what's what's a good amount like the real specific advice that you can get for your strategy play when to know when to drop a player when to know when to add a player how do you know when a player is going to be cold how do you know when a player is going to be hot just you know it's not just about the players it's knowing what to do when you when you have the information so we start you know the first thirty minutes of every show is strategy and then we do players at the end uh, but I think it's very important because that's an undervalued uh, aspect of fantasy is knowing what to do with the information. DVR? 100% agree. Uh, that's why I love the structure of it. I think the, the strategy talks you have are fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, and, and the music is fun too. Yes. It's like 1982 WKRP in Cincinnati. How does the theme song go? da 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 dum bum bum da 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 I mean, it's really, yeah, it is catchy. WKRP in Cincinnati, I'm telling you. I got a little Charles in charge off that. Yeah, it's it's 1985. It's it's just it's it. And Ariel, you create your own uh, music. Is that correct? I do, but that actually comes from my brother's saxophone teacher uh, from an album called Oneness World. Okay, well there you go. I yes. did not know that. Or do we want to DVR? Do we want to hit a couple of these under the radar specials real quick? Because I do have some thoughts about some of these players. 
Yeah, let's let's cherry pick the more broadly appealing players. I'm curious, where did Xander Bogarts' power go? Ariel, I'll throw it to you first. 15 home runs in the past calendar year. Hitting 294, 374 OBP, so good real-life player. But if you're expecting 25 home run power and a little more run production, you've been surprisingly disappointed. Yeah, I think Xander Bogarts... Uh, is a little bit the product of the juiced ball. Now, everything else other than the power looks in line. I mean, he's clearly above a 300 hitter. He's hit uh, pretty much 295 or above the last four years in a row. Uh, he steals, you know, stealing 5, 10, 15 bases a year. So he's he's he ha- he's still continuing with that. Uh, actually, under, under 15, call, call it 10 for him. Uh, but the power, I think the juice ball, he had 33 homers in 19. He had uh, 11 homers in 2020. Now, last year, uh, I saw a report that the the ball was mixed. It was half juiced and half new uh, because of COVID and supply chain. So the ball was a mixed effect, and he came down in homers, back to the 23 level, 23 homer level. This year, he's going to be closer to the 15 homer level. I just think that he's a product of the juice ball. He also is getting a little bit of unluckiness. His homer to fly ball ratio is 8.6%. His career is closer to 12. So a little bit of unluckiness. He's hitting the ball a little bit less hard, uh, but he is not a 25 homer player. If you think that he is a 20 home run player, that's how I would project him going forward as a 20 home run player. Uh, and he's just been a little bit unlucky so far. Yeah, I think the wrist injury last year is part of what happened to him. Missed some time. Maybe that was part of why the, the home runs ticked down a little bit. But the rabbit ball thing is is really important to look at because the the career best power year was 2019. So definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, I, 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 I'm frustrated by Xander Berger. So I traded for him in the offseason, essentially straight up for in an OBP league for Francisco Lindor. So we got Bogarts and traded Lindor. Um, and that was, uh, that, that's not something that I'm smiling about, to be honest. It's something that I'm frustrated by on a somewhat regular basis. Bogarts is a lock for value. I mean, he's earned over $20 of roto value the last couple of years in a row. Now, if you're going to buy him at 30, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're going to buy him, you know, in an auction at 22, 23, there's a very high percentage chance he's going to earn back his value because he has the many paths to, to, to value player, right? He, he runs, he, he's off the charts. He does have enough homers. He steals some batting average. Batting average in today's world is, is crazy, right? The the batting average is down to 240 for the league, and him hitting 316, that's humongous. So there's just a good probability of value, and it goes it's very undervalued when you're putting together your roster. Whether or not he's having a bad homer year or not, he's still contributing elsewhere. Value is value. But Ariel, would you say that it, it, moving forward, who would you rather have? You watch Lindor on a daily basis. Who would you rather have, Xander Bogarts or Francisco Lindor, in an OBP league moving forward over the course of the next five years? Xander Bogarts, hands down. Why is that? It, it, just for the reasons I described. He's, his value is is there in any path. Uh, Lindor also, I think the batting average just is going to come down. Uh, Bogarts gets on so much more of the time. I'm not, I, I know Lindor's having a better year in terms of power this year, but I'm not confident he's a 20 home run player, uh, still. Uh, and is Lindor older than, than Bogarts? Were they roughly the no, same age? No, I think age? Bogarts, I, roughly the same age. I think Bogarts is about a year older than him. If yeah. I guess. Yeah. I think Lindor's 28 and I think Bogarts is 29. So age is, is, is not so much. But uh, the average, yeah, 248 average is, is a pretty significant. It's To me, I think it's the stolen bases uh, that Lindor brings you. Uh, he, he's a flashier player. And his OB, well, his OBP is down to 324. And Bogarts's OBP is uh, quite a bit higher. 389 so. right now. Yeah, so and that does make a, a significant difference. But yeah. DVR, for you, same question. OBP league, Xander Bogarts, who is 29, uh, versus uh, Francisco Lindor. Which way would you go? I'd go Bogarts for the long haul, too. Wow, I just think okay. there's the, that real-life value is a little bit more stable with him. And I think with Lindor, as he continues to get closer to 30, the stolen bases he's giving us now are probably going to tick down a little bit, too. He might be a, much more comparable to Bogarts in that category in future years. And, and by the way, it's, it's it's not that wide of a difference. It's not like, oh, my God, it's Bogarts over Lindor. It, it's not. It's closer than you think. Uh, I'm actually, uh, by the way, uh, a little surprised, but I might have ATC rest-of-season projections come out really soon. Uh, nice. Yes, according to my numbers, Bogarts is a $24 player for the rest of this year, and Lindor is 21. So even for this year, it's pretty close. 
Here's the question I want to ask you, and this is just sort of a general thing that I, I, I think will be helpful for people. Can you talk about why Luis Arias, Alex Verdugo, that style of player, um, a value player, just go into value real quick, Ariel, with with our listeners who, you know, as you, as you know, everyone's looking for the splash and for the flash. But what does value mean to you as a fantasy player? And then I just want to say one thing about Cutter Crawford, and then we'll get to uh, the the post. Don't forget the post credit show. It's pretty fun. It's the many paths to, to value. Uh, Arias is not the greatest example. Uh, he's he's just a batting average uh, uh, guy. Um, you know, but batting average plays very, very highly in today's game. And he's also multi-position eligible, which is, which is great. Uh, but guys like Mark Canha, uh, where, you know, he'll steal a few bases, he'll hit a few homers, he'll get on base, OBP machine. When you have a, a, a floor level in each of the categories, the player is less risky to turn bust. When, when you're at, at if you're in first, second place, you're looking for your players to get their expected value. You're not looking for a breakout. You don't need a breakout if you're at the right position. If you have players that broke out on your team, all you need is to fill in uh, good meat for the rest, right? You you have your toppings on top, right? And those make the difference, but you still need to get that meat right on the bottom of everything. And so guys like that really, really matter, who do a little bit of everything. Dansby Swanson. Well, can, I, can I argue? I got to argue Kenha for a second because Kenha just does not have the playing time. Is there another guy? Kenha plays every day. Does he really? Yeah. Uh, plays every day. And now Kenha is not as good. I'm, I'm, Kenha is a guy at the bottom, but those guys are worth more than their bottom value because it's just contributing. A $5 player is getting you that $5. You need to build up that value. Dansby Swanson, I mean, he's been fantastic. He's been but ridiculous. He, he, but he gets everything. Anybody who gets a little bit of everything is so much more valuable. And uh, the ATC uh, statistic is the interprojections, uh, in, intra-projectional standard deviation showing like Uh-oh. how variable a player is. You know, <laughs> you want guys to contribute in every category. Like Vlad Jr., okay, so- yeah, Vlad Jr., fantastic player, but he is missing a couple of categories. There are better players to fill. He's missing category. one category. Wait a minute, he's missing one category. He's only all the only category that is missing is stolen bases. I mean, he's high in average, at least certainly above average in average RBI runs and home runs. No, I mean, isn't there just the one category for Vlad? Yeah, I mean, you know, who would you rather have, Freeman or Guerrero? My argument is Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, right. you would want Freeman because he's going to get you 11 to 12 stolen bases. Exactly. Exactly the argument. Our show is under the radar. Can you give me, and I probably should have asked you to do this beforehand, but off the top of your head, can you give me five players that fit into this category of, I mean, I, I remember you, last year was Jean Segura was a big guy for you, where it was like, people don't care about Jean Segura, but he brings a little bit of everything. He's the kind of guy that you win leagues with. And you are, you know, as you'll say later in the show, one of the best players in, in the fantasy baseball world. Um, it, part of it is, and part of how I think I've gotten better is learning this technique. Can you tell us the three to five players that you can think of right now that other people aren't thinking about? as really valuable fantasy baseball players. Everyone knows that Julio Rodriguez is a star. Bobby Wood is a star. That's obvious. But who are those guys that are under the radar that you look at and say, there's real value here in these guys? Trying to come up with a quickie because I I don't remember offhand, but uh, Josh Lowe is uh, uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, He's not under the radar, but he's that type of player. Uh, I, I just did my ATC, and I don't even know this guy, Josh H. Smith. Um, just oh yeah, Josh A. Smith yeah, the from, Rangers, yeah. from the Rangers. We talked just about him last week. for five homers, five steals, and he's actually above replacement according to my valuations. I I didn't even know that, but when I ran the numbers, oh my goodness, he can be a help. Uh, that seems under the radar. Um, Santiago Espinal um, made the All Star game. Uh, he's probably more widely owned now, but he's another guy. He has the batting average. Contributes enough in homers and steals. He's more valuable than his numbers are worth. Um, Robbie Grossman, yeah, is- if he can turn it around, he's another guy that you would know. 
Um, trying to think of who else, but th- those are the, those are the type of guys that are just undervalued. And these are guys that are not. These are guys. These are these are theoretical throw-ins and trades, right? TVR. I mean, these are not guys that nobody's going out trying to get Josh H. Smith unless it's an AL only league. But what Ariel is saying is that by getting a guy who's going to give you a decent average, give you just those five stolen bases for the rest of the season, really will make a difference for your team. TVR, do you do you play by those metrics and by those rules? Yeah, I mean, I think throw-ins is exactly what you're talking about, or even waiver wire pickups, of course, in mm-hmm. a lot of leagues. Just guys on the bottom of your roster that are surprisingly productive because they can they can help you no matter what you need. I think the only other thing I would think about is if my team is imbalanced, maybe the type of player I'm looking for is less balanced as a result of my roster build at this point in the season. But generally, I think that's definitely the way you want to go. I just throw in like Rafael Ortega, another guy who, you know, just seven, he's a 10-10 player potentially uh, for the year. Just super helpful at the bottom. Deeper leagues, but throw him in as your fifth outfielder and just give you a base production of everything. There's another guy that like probably very easy to get in a trade is Andrew McCutcheon. I I wonder on the ACT, uh, ATC, not ACT, sorry, um, on the ATC projections, someone like Andrew McCutcheon, who's you know, average 255, a little bit above average, he gets caught stealing sometimes, which is a little frustrating, but he does have six stolen bases so far. He has nine home runs. Would he, would McCutcheon fit into this sort of non-sexy but valuable category? Uh, in OBP leagues, for sure, because he's a plus in, in OBP. Uh, batting average, not as much. Uh, he's He's down to like a 240-ish projection. But yeah, OBP League, McCutcheon is is the guy. Okay, and then the last thing that we were going to hit on is just Cutter Crawford. I The reason I want to mention it is I, I just, I'm like, guy's name is Cutter. Come on, I'm not going to pick up Cutter Crawford. DVR throws him on the list, and I'm like, all right, I better go watch some film on Cutter Crawford. I watched some film on Cutter Crawford. He looks pretty darn good to me. DVR, what, what did you see? I just see an opportunity there. The sale injury is really unfortunate for the Red Sox. I mean, they've dealt with a lot of absences for him in the last couple seasons, but Crawford might be the guy that isn't the highly regarded prospect, whereas Brian Bayo is the person everyone thinks would move into that role. Crawford might end up having to make more starts for the Red Sox than people realize. And yeah, it's the stuff being good more than the results being good. So you're, you're kind of banking on everything finding its level, but K-rate 28% so far this season. Walk rate is acceptable at 9.6%. I just think it could actually be a surprisingly productive pickup in a lot of deep leagues, and it's a pretty deep arsenal of pitches, too, for Crawford. I think that's the other part about him that makes me encouraged. He has a lot of ways to get hitters out. Ariel, have you had a chance to look at Cutter Crawford? There's not many pitchers who throw more pitches. Uh, like, you Darvish throws, like, a ton of pitches, right? Um, the the issue with Crawford is that he throws a lot of walks. So if you're tight on the ratios in your league, you probably don't want to go for Crawford in the short term. But he has enough strikeouts to be viable. Uh, he, uh, he, I guess he's been a little bit luckier so, so far. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Set I mean, up. he's somebody who, in deeper leagues, he can fill in it, especially if your ratios are okay and you could use a little bit of strikeouts, he could be a viable, uh, fill in. And of course he throws the cutter spelled with a K. Yes. And, and I watched two of his starts, just highlights of two of his starts, uh, this morning. I have to say, I was very impressed by his, uh, mound presence. I really liked how he was, uh, looking out up there, thinking up there, um, I liked his 96 mile an hour fastball. His 91 mile an hour cutter was moving. His 88 uh, mile an hour curveball had had some nice dip to it. He looked really pretty successful, making the Yankees look a little silly two weeks ago. And then I forget who he pitched against uh, the other day, uh, which where he was also successful. He's going to give you five innings. He's one of those guys. Again, when when I put out a guy, I'm not saying pick him up and throw him right in your lineup. I'm saying pick him up, stash him on your bench, see if you uh, see if it works, and if it works, run with it until it doesn't work anymore and then drop it because and drop them um so all right so that's it so i'm gonna i'm gonna do the end of the show and i'm gonna say it like this for the man who will change the way we play fantasy baseball and do it in a loving midwestern way Derek van riper i really hope i can live up to those expectations for the man who is the champion in the world of pickleball when he's playing women in their 60s Ariel Cohen. That's what I'm best known for. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm Ian Khan. Thank you, Ariel, for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Nanda, we miss you. Uh, don't forget to listen to the post credit scene at the end of the show. Uh, I'm Ian Khan, and we will see you next time. Good talk. Good talk. Bye. Bye.
Hi, General Washington. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oriel, how did you get this phone? With this little thing called call, call ID on my phone. Anyway, General Washington, I got something I got to tell you. Oriel, um, it's... It, 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 go ahead. Well, General Washington, you know I'm really good at tennis. Yes, Oriel, I know you're really good at a lot. Yeah, but I'm really, well, I'm not great. I mean, I'm better at fantasy baseball. Of course I'm better at fantasy baseball. I'm, a, I'm the best fantasy baseball player there is in the game. I mean, you know, give or take nothing. Yes, Oriel, I, I know you're really quite successful at fantasy baseball. I mean, it's really remarkable. And the proof is in the pudding. Anyway, Mr. Washington. General Washington. I forgot, right? No, General Washington. That's right, everyone. General Washington. Whatever makes you feel good about yourself, whatever you need. Thank you, Oriel. General Washington, I've discovered pickleball. Pickleball? Pickleball, General Washington. It's the greatest game. I had the greatest success this past Saturday. Tell me, Oriel, what happened in your pickleball? Oh, well, pickleball is, is, is sort of a it's sort of a bastardization. I don't know if you really like that word, but it's a bastardization of, of tennis. It's a smaller version it's for, you know, for older people, for people who don't get around the court quite as well as they used to back in their day. I can certainly understand that. As I aged, I would struggle occasionally on horseback. Then, you know, I'm right in the middle of my story. Anyway, anyway, so I go to play pickleball. Now, I've played tennis before, but this is the first time I've ever played pickleball in my entire life. So, of course, what did I do? I went to a beginner pickleball lesson. That sounds perfectly appropriate. There were three other women who were there with me. So there was um, Gerda and, and Mildred and, and Daphne. That was it, Gerda, Mildred, and Daphne. Wow, Oriel, those are lovely names. They were pretty old-fashioned, and uh, they, they, they were pretty old, too. I mean, you know, Mildred was probably about 61. Uh, Deirdre was, uh, I mean, you know, maybe like uh, 68. And, and, and Gerda, I mean, she, she, was, she was 65. So, you know, she's, she's had a bit of spring to her step. Oriel, uh, how old are you? I'm 38 years old. Yeah, I'm 38 years old. So anyway, we start the match, and you know, I was just flying around the court. General Washington, excuse me, I got a little thing in my throat. I was flying around the court. <laughs> I was killing them. I mean, I was slamming those balls, and, and, and they didn't know what hit them. I mean, it was it was like they couldn't win a point. Oriel, are you saying that you beat Deirdre, Mildred, and the other? Oh, yeah, I beat him like a drum. Beat like a drum. Uh, we've gone over this before. You beat a drum. I mean, anyway. So, yeah, General Washington did my new favorite game, Pickleball. But at the end of the time, Mildred kind of gave me a little bit of attitude, to be honest. Yeah, I was sort of like, what's the problem? What's the problem, Mildred? I mean, I don't know what your problem is. And she was like, you know, you should probably be playing with, like, younger people who are men. And I was like... You're probably right, but you know it's really fun. And to be honest, I, I did know what was going on. So about like you know three games in, I was like, that's enough. I mean, I, but, but boy, it was fun while it lasted because I, you know I was just unconscious out there. I was I was like Joe DiMaggio of of the pickleball game. Oriel, um, thank you so much for calling. I just had to call you, Mister Washington, General Washington. I get, yeah, I know, General Washington. I mean, whatever you need, whatever makes you feel good about yourself. Oriel, I look forward to speaking again. So, oh, oh, no, really, the pleasure's all mine. I mean, yeah, and just to remind you if, you, if you ever need any actuary work, I'm really a pretty good actuary, not as good as I am a fan. Well, actually, maybe I'm about as good as this fantasy baseball. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at everything.